Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Base and Family Fun Time. This is episode 10 of Doves and Demon. My name is Cody Bankston. I am your host and game master. Thank you so much for joining us for this mile marker, making it in double digits. Uh, very exciting. We are very glad to have you with us. Appreciate you all sticking with us so far. Last week, or last last week, as though we come out with these on a weekly basis, <laughs> last time, last episode, we... Uh, sort of wrapped up the uh, case of the zombie Paul Bunyan terrorizing Lake Kiganza. And now, and then after that, we touched on some uh, community outreach and fundraising that the Paranormal Investigation Group was doing following that case. So we'll be starting a brand new case, brand new story arc. Uh, not too much I got to catch you up on since that's what we got going on here. And uh, yeah, I will uh, catch up with you all at the end. You know, I think your first case was April or May, and I think, you know, the Paul Bunyan thing was a few weeks after that. Kind of envisioning, you know, it's been another few weeks in between. It's now, it's like, it's like the dog days of summer. It's like July, you know, when it's just that brutally, like, oppressively hot Midwesterns weather. And I'm going to start things off a little bit different. I have sort of this introductory scene I'm going to read for you guys that doesn't really involve any of your characters. So we're going to try that out and see how it goes. Fade in on this country road right outside of Evansville, Wisconsin, which is in Rock County, just south of Matt, well, just south of Stoughton, really. And then there's this uh, single car as kind of middle of the night. Well, not middle of the night, but we'll say it's like 10 p.m. or something. It's dark. And this single car makes a turn onto Weary Road. And it just kind of rolls down there and it uh, stops and parks on this little bridge. And, you know, and there's not, like, a bunch of smoke coming out the windows? <laughs> no, no. Camera, if, if there was one, would sort of pan into the back of the, of the, uh, the back seat of the car. There's uh, two teenagers. There's a young man uh, driving, and he's got his girlfriend riding shotgun with him. The, uh, the girl says something like, What are we doing out here, Scotty? My dad said I have to be home right after the movie. And Scotty says something like, like Don't worry. I'll get you home safe and sound. Just tell him I had car troubles or something leans in to start kissing her and she's like you're such a bad boy they start making out but then like all of a sudden megan like pushes him away and she gets this like uncontrollable like shiver like runs through her body and she's like oh my god do you feel that i am freezing like the brutal hot part of the summer so that's pretty unusual and sky's like don't worry baby i'll keep you warm and she's like (laughs) i'm serious she kind of hits him on the arm all playfully she's like you don't feel that it's like we just walked into a refrigerator or something so date rape is more playful (laughs) well it's it's (laughs) totally consensual it's not a it's not like it's not like that scene in face off where fucking Hyde from that 70s show tries to date rape fucking sean archer's daughter in the fucking driveway of his house and it turns out he wasn't really acting that much because he is a violent rapist in real life yeah it's fucking weird art imitating life this particular situation totally consensual like their girlfriend and boyfriend she kind of hits him on the arm playfully, and she's talking about how she's fucking cold. And then she looks up in the rearview mirror, good distance down the road behind them, she sees this faint, glowing green light that kind of looks vaguely humanoid-shaped. She screams like, Scotty, did you see that? And Scotty turns around, but by the time uh, he looks back, the light's gone. There's nothing there. It's just like a dark road, and he's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, I saw someone. Like, I don't know, but he was like glowing or and then all of a sudden there's this like loud like thud on the top of the car and there's like this kind of like what sounds like scurrying on the roof it's super dark out and they don't really see much so they just see this sort of blur as something hops off the roof of the car and kind of scampers into the bushes 
next to the road. At this point, Megan's like freaking out. She's like, Scotty, take me home. This place is creepy and I want to leave. He's like, all right, all right, just relax. He goes to start the car. It's dead. He goes to turn it and the car engine turns over, but it's just making this kind of pathetic attempt to actually get going. And she's like, what's wrong? He's like, I don't know. My dad just took it to the mechanic last week. So Scotty turns the key again and still nothing happens. And Megan's like freaking out. She's looking around. She's like terrified. All of a sudden, the back seat just lights up with this sickly green glowing light. They turn around and they see this apparition of this old man reaching out for them with both hands. And, you know, the camera sort of would pull back from the exterior of the car. And the last thing that we would see is this flash of green light. Megan screams, and then all of a sudden, every window in the car just is encased with this, like, thick sheet of ice that crawls up everything. The windows are completely frozen. The light vanishes, and then silence. Oh, no. Spooky. Before we jump into the case, though, that's cold open. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of want to just take a little bit of time to get to know the characters, your characters a little bit more, and figure out what their personal lives are like when they're not working for the PIG. I got you just the list of characters you're able to start at the top. Spooky, you work the night shift at like the Miller bottling plant in Milwaukee, right? Yeah. Is there anyone else that like works the night shift with you or is he more or less just kind of like alone? The reason I work the night shift, I work repairing the machines on the line. So, like, I'm basically there at night by myself while the plant isn't running, fixing shit up. Okay. Arguing with my ghost dad while I do it. Like, no, I fucking told you it's three-quarter inch. Five-sixteenths my fucking ass. So, I think the guys who, like, work there during the day, they don't have a lot of, like, interaction with you. They're aware of your reputation. I saw them in the employee area taking off my uniform while they're all getting dressed for work see each other in passing, end of my shift, but that's really about it. You're coming in to start your shift as evening guys are kind of leaving, and as you're, like, putting on your Miller bottling plants, you you go to, like, open your locker. There's some kind of, like, rigged, spooky ghost thing that, like, pops out at you and goes, like, boo, as you, like, open up your locker. Some of the other, like, coworkers are kind of, like, snickering and stuff like that as they walk out, being jerks, kind of picking on Jimmy a little bit. Jimmy's been dealing with this shit all his life. It really doesn't phase him anymore. Typical just broy dudes who just having a laugh at your expense. They're already planning on how to install some kind of ectoplasm grenade in one of their lockers, though. He's not uh, sure he's actually going to do it, but he's thinking about how he would if he did. Is there anything else that we should know about Jimmy? What's he do when he's not working or investigating ghosts? Spends most of his time then, like, at home, working on all his various experiments and inventions. Cruising the, the scrapyards, looking for good parts and that kind of shit. And also arguing with his ghost dad a lot. Perfect. But, you know, he still, like, goes down to the bars for nachos sometimes to watch the crew. Yeah, that's, that's mostly what Jimmy does. That's great. We're going to pan out from Milwaukee and go a little bit west over east side Madison. And uh, we're going to fade in on Monty's blue plate. Shannon's just kind of at work, like, working the grill, I imagine. You know, flipping some pancakes. And I was curious... Does Shannon have a lot of friends? Like, how does he sort of interact with, like, his other co-workers at the diner? So Shannon has a really good relationship with all the waitresses. He's sure. Very, he's very protective of them. I imagine, he, like life, he is stoic and quiet at work. But how old is Shannon again? Like 40-something. Okay. 
he's like the quiet guy with the witty jokes at work and uh, just very protective of people. Okay. So I think the scene that I'm sort of envisioning is he's back there kind of like working the grill and all of a sudden like one of your, uh, one of the servers who like totally has a crush on Shannon, her name's Cynthia. She's kind of like leaning through like the window and she's doing that. She's like chewing gum and she's twisting one of her locks of hair on her finger (laughs) a little bit as she's watching you. And she's like, hey, Shannon, like, how's your night going? It's going good, Cynthia. How are you? Oh, you know, just uh, just ready to get done with my shift. And uh, I think she's like a single mom. So she's got like she's probably about like maybe a little younger than Shannon, but she's got a kid at home that she's taking care of. She's like. Just got to get home, just ready to get home and play with my boy before he goes to bed. Did you hear about that fire out by Lake Caganza the other day? That's crazy, right? Yeah, pretty crazy. It sounds so exciting, though. I can only imagine what what's that like, what was going on out there. Yeah, we can all imagine. <laughs> Great. <laughs> cool. So is there, I don't know, is there anything else that we should know about Shannon? Like anything... Shannon have anything that he's doing, like, with his free time outside of work and investigating um, mysteries? Anything we should know about? Well, he, uh, you know, he lives in a studio apartment, like, right around the corner from the restaurant. Watches a lot of YouTube videos to try to figure <laughs> out. <laughs> I mean, it is 1986. Or I, 1980s. Forgot. I forgot. <laughs> um, he watches a lot of public access television. <laughs> the OG YouTube. Yeah, OG. <laughs> he watches a lot of public access television to see like all the conspiracy theorists and what, and just observing the weird underbelly of Madison and what the weirdos are doing. On okay. He also likes to ride his bike. Yeah, there's a there's a great uh, there's a great bike path in Madison, or at least there was when I lived there. Um, <laughs> Okay, cool. Again, we're going to pan out and we're going to head over to Belleville. And I wanted to... Hazel works at the Dairy Queen in Belleville and with your cousin, correct? Yep, yep. So remind me, is Hazel the manager or is your cousin the manager? My cousin's the manager. I am the assistant manager. Okay. I'm starting to take this shit seriously because... It looks like I'm going to be on Earth for a while. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't heard anything from my friends up on high lately. So I'm thinking this is a pretty, a pretty good gig for Belleville, you know. And I kind of can heat the ground because everybody comes to the DQ. And I've got some agents that I've recruited in town who are kind of... <laughs> keeping an eye out and okay you need to tell me more about these agents immediately (laughs) you know they're just people who over the years have heard about my abduction and take it pretty seriously i gotta respect them for that and they're eager to buy in because they are very interested in uh what's happening up in the sky so they keep an eye out for me so i got this guy Got a guy, the retired, he's the, he used to deliver the mail in my neighborhood and he's retired now and he's got a lot of time on his hands. So he spends a lot of time just driving around in the country looking for signs that, uh, of alien landings and he lets me know what he hears. And then I, I got a couple, got a couple younger folk. I'm not certain if they're just really pulling my leg, but they seem pretty serious about it and, they also uh, 
do a good job of keeping me uh, in tune with what's happening in the larger scene. They're always out there uh, at the library, kind of reading up on alien abductions across the country. So they kind of maintain, I guess you would call it, if it wasn't 1987, a database of this kind of stuff. Wait, Hazel has willing, like, convinced kids to willingly go to the library? <laughs> that's the most <laughs> unbelievable part of this story. Yeah, <laughs> with everything else, but that seems a little hard. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I think I imagine they would, they'd probably be like looking at like microfilm or something. These are the AV kids, okay? <laughs> also, Hazel, do you have a TV show on public access? I don't, you know, I've been trying to get one for years. And you're crazy for public access, is what you're saying. Well, I mean, that's one way of saying it, I guess. That's that's what they tell me down at City Hall. They got, <laughs> their day is coming. Is, that's all I say as I stomp out of City Hall. <laughs> that's Wait, why I but it's, it's the guy who works for you who is a postal worker? That's uh, true. I, I didn't make that connection. <laughs> yeah, that was... That was wonderful. There's a lot of good things in there for me to work with <laughs> in the future. Cool. Anything else you want to tell us about Hazel? Uh, no, just that I, you know, I, I live in my little two-bedroom house that my father left to me. And uh, the other thing that is probably worth noting is I'm kind of known in my neighborhood as the cat lady because <laughs> seem to think it's weird that I live with eight cats. But they're very good. Cats are very sensitive to alien life, and I feel, <laughs> like, I feel like they keep me on the alert. You know, they're going to let me know if something is coming. Isn't that a theory as to, according to to Public Access Madison, that's why the Egyptians like cats. <laughs> <'Cause> because they, <laughs> they, yeah. True, Shannon. That's oh, true. boy. FYI, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. I give you a high five from a distance. That was, that was so good. Last but very certainly not least, uh, we're gonna we're gonna head north up to the Wisconsin Dells, and we're gonna check in on Frag Na Officer Na. And I I mean I've got a pretty good idea about Frag's life outside of uh, <laughs> working for the PIG. What I kind of wanted to focus on though is what is your dynamic living with the mutant badger that y'all rescued from the sewer i believe well, i mean is it rescuing it if we murdered its parents before? <laughs> <laughs> but i guess you did rescue it from getting burned alive as you destroyed the uh we burned its parents corpses alive <laughs> yeah you uh, you like okay you didn't best <laughs> you didn't so much rescue it as spare its life and then imprison it yeah so i think I think I jokingly suggested that you guys are going to call him BJ for Bucky Jr., but I don't remember if that's actually the name that y'all settled on. Oh, yeah, I thought that was great. <laughs> okay, cool. So BJ the Badger is living with you at your old um, Ringling Brothers Circus exhibit that you now call home. And I'm just curious what the dynamic is like between Frag and BJ. Well, well, it, it's, been a, it's been a tough summer, the air conditioning. <laughs> fell out a few times so he gets kind of cranky the ac goes off you know what it's like in wisconsin summers it's 95 degrees 95 percent humidity and apparently giant mutant badgers sweat a lot so, <laughs> so uh, yeah try to teach him sign language so he can communicate <laughs> you know and use your words not not your not your emotions less hitting more talking 
Yeah, <laughs> just trying to get through that. It's American Sign Language, you know. So, how many beers have you fed him? <laughs> how many what? How many beers have you fed BJ? Like, I imagine you like as you're getting ready to shotgun a beer, you throw one into the cage, and he just destroys it and drinks all the beer. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's kind of a beer and cheese fest, usually with some pretzels, you know, and kind of your standard food groups for Wisconsinites, some bratwurst. <laughs> so he's just getting fed beer and brats and cheese. Jesus. <laughs> okay, so who is cleaning up after BJ? <laughs> well, we're we're kind of working on duties as assigned. Yeah. Sort of, <laughs> you got so, like a a chore wheel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of, it, yeah, it's kind of like out of the old uh, uh, out of the old movies where you spin one, you know. Uh, bust a deal, you know, face the wheel, and that, that, that's kind of where he is. If he, he takes a big giant dump on the floor, he's got to, you know, bust a load, face the wheel. So, yeah, various things happen there. How's that going? Uh, he, 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 he tends to be kind of untrainable, but, you know, I'm very, I'm very patient, and, uh, and we, we share drugs occasionally. And that works. Is it... Jesus Christ. By patient, you mean you just pass out a lot? Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. I, I kind of lose, you know, elements, parts of the day, night. <laughs> Not sure what's happening. I, 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 I get out. really into ludes lately. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, every time I wake up, he's there, so I think everything's going all right. Chasing ludes with tequila, it's that perfect blend of uppers and downers. <laughs> Working on tunes, you know, we got, we got a little bit of a drag dress dummies. We got a little bit of a summertime gig with Tommy Bartlett's ski show. <laughs> so things are going pretty swell there. I mean, we're even, we're, we're, we'll see how it works out, but we even got part of a pyramid going where the drag dress dummies are the bottom of the pyramid. Of course, some of the skiers. You on skis? Yeah, on skis, full behind skis. And then, you know, the other performers are stacked up on top of it. And you haven't worked the badger into that act? No, the badger's a secret. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was a test, and you passed. So anyway, that's, that's been my summer. It's been pretty awesome. <laughs> that That is pretty awesome. <laughs> and I imagine what I sort of was picturing in my head is that at first, Frag and BJ's relationship is very conflicting and tumultuous like frag kind of goes into the room and kind of tries to like toss bj like some meat like that but bj is really get out of the cage and like attack that and he's just like really like feral and still like very savage kind of over time frag kind of starts to notice that when he goes in there bj is just like a little more like kind of lethargic giving in to just sort of like life in captivity and uh, animal at the zoo, you know, it's just kind of going through the motions, like, okay, yeah, this guy's here to feed me again. Out of that, out of that behavioral change, that's when Frag, kind of in his own very <laughs> strange and sometimes disturbing Frag way, Frag befriend BJ, and that's when they started shotgunning beers and eating brats together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I just treat him like he's my, uh, you know, unfortunate orphan nephew for my sister that married an Albanian and they got killed. 
and, and he had to come to the United States, and he really, you know, he's torn out of his homeland, and, and just that situation. He's just a sad, misunderstood young young man or mutant badger, and just trying to work through that, work through his feelings. Oh boy. Oh, that was so oddly specific, but I guess not odd given Frag's track record. As the normal amount of odd that we have come to expect from Frag and all of Dad's characters, really. <laughs> I think at this point, we could kind of jump into the case then, doing all those uh, various things. I mean, you know, you've talked about in your personal time, Hazel and uh, Hazel and Shannon were working their jobs at DQ and Monty's, respectively. I think maybe... Jimmy, he was a little bit harder to find because he was going down to the bar to get some nachos, watch the brewers. They had to call around. They actually called the bar and asked for Jimmy. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's right here. And then Frag, you know, was probably just in the middle of a drug-fueled bender and kind of was just doing his thing with BJ, just hanging out, playing bass. With, um, I, are you trying to teach BJ how to play an instrument? Yeah, it was starting <laughs> off with, like, the tambourine but he tends to punch holes in it, so I started to duct-taping maracas to his paws. <laughs> How many times have you been mauled during this whole process? <laughs> well, scars are sexy, so I, I really don't have to put a limit on it. Uh, yeah, I imagine Frag's fingers are just constantly, like, taped or bandaged up, and there's just scratch and bites, like, all up and down his arms. I think you all would... You'd get the call from the sheriff probably like the morning after that scene that I sort of set the set the case with. When he calls you guys up, he's like, "Yeah, I need you. I need you to get down to the uh, the office straight away." So Evansville is actually technically in Rock County. I mean, not technically, it is. You guys are a little outside your jurisdiction on this one. The Rock County Sheriff uh, called in a favor to uh, Sheriff Ferris, kind of asked you know if he's got anybody out there who can investigate weird crimes. You guys got the call calls you down to the office it's kind of giving you the case file and pictures of of the scene the way that they found them even though it's like middle of the summer it's july the car was found the two kids megan and scotty they were still frozen in place like literally and figuratively you can see from the pictures that they took terrified look on their face and like you know when they were found it like by the time somebody came down there and found them Ice had started to thaw. The coroners, you know, were what the like, and the CSI guys are all like, "What the hell happened here? How did these be like these kids were basically flash frozen like to death?" So they weren't frozen like in a block of ice or anything. They were just individually frozen in place. It's not like the car got filled with ice. Trying to depict is like you know when like it's cold like in the winter and you go and start your car and there's like that kind of sheet of ice encased all your windows and like the windshield and everything that you got to run the defroster for it's not like the car is filled with ice but they are frozen when the police found them could be aliens can we go back to our headquarters i think i should bring my ouija board uh yeah i actually meant to bring that up i imagine oh i'm actually gonna retcon a little shannon was like at home when he got the call you're grabbing all your all your gear, all your special bullets and all that kind of stuff that you normally kind of mount up when you're about to go investigate one of these paranormal cases. And you're grabbing, uh, you're kind of putting on your boots. All of a sudden from this, from this closet next to your front door of your apartment, you hear this menacing and unfortunately very familiar voice kind of creep into the back of your mind. And it goes, Shannon, release me from this closet. You cannot imprison me in here forever. 
If you do not let me out, you and your friends will most certainly die. Don't say anything. I just walk over and I open the closet and I grab the Ouija board and I just put them in my Indiana Jones bag and say, all right, you're coming with. Now shut the hell up. Ah, fresh air. Thank you, Shannon. It is good to see you again. I said shut up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then we cut back to the sheriff's office. Uh, I I think Jimmy's in, like, in the RV heading down the interstate towards Madison at the moment. I'm probably usually the last one to get there. What time of day is it? So, uh, yeah, I think y'all got the call around, like, 8 in the morning the next day. Because it happened down in Rock County, like, it wasn't technically within your guys' area. It's like you didn't get the call, like, right away and it gets, like, sent to the scene. You're kind of getting all this information kind of retroactively. The Rock County Sheriff has, like, sent along the case file to uh, Ferris, uh, your guys' Dane County Sheriff. So I, uh, yeah, I leave my apartment. I ride, I jump on my bike. <laughs> I bike to the sheriff's office. Uh, I might be the first to arrive. I walk in and, again, don't say hi to anyone. And I just <laughs> walk down the steps to our basement office and call the sheriff if he's not already down there. Yeah, I think he's just kind of waiting for you when you show up. Okay. Hi, Sheriff. Morning, Shannon. Thanks for thanks for coming down here on such short notice, you know, as usual. Got a got a real doozy for you this time. Uh my uh my uh my friend uh down in uh, Rock County, he uh set this along to me and uh you know, he uh yeah, this is uh I know that you guys have already dealt with a couple weird ones, but I got to tell you, this is uh pretty far out there. Uh, I'll be the judge of that. Uh, <laughs> tell me about it. What happened? Uh, yeah, so I mean, he kind of relays all the information that I was kind of talking to you before. You know, two kids out on the Weary Road outside, which is right outside Evansville. They got found, you know, by some police middle of the night. They had started thawing by the time the police found them, like just frozen to death. Instant. Like, they were all of a sudden dropped into some Arctic sub-zero temperature that was lethal. Frozen in place. Terrified-looking expressions. So, yeah, you didn't try to thaw them out, like, with a hot tub? Yeah. All right. Joking, and he walks across the room and gets a cup of coffee and is silent again. All right, so I think at that point, Hazel would be the next kind of show up. And, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to keep doing the scene over and over. We'll just, if you have any... You'll get all get the sort of same information, um, but feel free to ask different questions of the sheriff as you arrive at the office. All right. So Hazel is looking through the paperwork that I'm assuming the Rock County Sheriff faxed to us. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Did he send along any photographs of the victims? Yeah, yeah. There's photos of them in the car where they were found. And then there's also like the from the coroner sort of them in like the 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 lab or the coroner's office you know and they're on the, the slab the pictures that they took of the crime scene uh scotty and megan were like pressed up against the side like the like their the doors and like the you know they were probably like trying to reach for the handles in their last moments right before the flash of light and the uh the freezing experience you can see that they were making an attempt to get out but just wasn't in time they were just rounding second base when uh <laughs> when the light happened were there any witnesses? Anybody in the neighborhood? Did they hear anything or see anything? Oh no! So Weary Road, the road that they were on, it's this rural, like countryside road, you know, right outside of Evansville, which already is a pretty small town. So they parked on this little bridge on a little uh, country road, 
And in order to get to the bridge, you drive through this like really creepy, menacing grove of trees that are just have these huge canopies that give the road this kind of like creepy kind of cathedral almost look. When we're when we're done with this story, you should totally look up images of Weary Road because it looks super scary. Yeah, it's a spooky ass place. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so no witnesses is what you're no. Yeah, I mean, it was it was middle of the night out in the country. They were just going out there to do some smooching before Scotty had to drop Megan off. Is the coroner started the autopsies? Yeah, the uh, the autopsies are done. I don't know the exact medical terminology that they would use, but seemingly died of hypothermia, you know, like instantly. Signs of, you know, like severe hypothermia, only it's not like it happened over time. It happened in like a split second, like they were flash frozen. So whatever happened to them, this is a, a weird question, just curious, did it affect their car? Was the car frozen too? Yeah, yeah. So like the interior of the car was also showing signs of damage from like the sudden freezing effect. When the cops showed up, there was still kind of signs of the little like iciness on like the windshield that had kind of started to kind of trickle off. Was there any signs of anybody else being around at all? Oh, that's a good question. So what kind of signs in particular would you be looking for? I'm wondering if when they found it, were all the cars, car doors closed? Were the, was the car maybe locked from the inside or was it open? Uh, did they see any footprints uh, outside the car? I think what they would have found is that the car would have been, other than the ice and the freezing, um, the car would have been largely undisturbed. It was just parked on this bridge didn't look as though it was moved before or after the incident took place. In terms of footprints, I don't know if they necessarily would have found any sort of human footprints, but signs of, like, local wildlife and animals and stuff like that, uh, that's totally possible. We're saying that the outside of the car and the inside were both frosted over? Yeah. There was there's a basketball dent or indentation in the roof, basketball size dent, scratch marks um, that start in the middle and then head towards the passenger side. Does that make sense? So we need to talk to, was this Scotty's car? We need to talk to... Yeah, it was Scotty's dad's car. If the Rock County Sheriff's Office hasn't talked to Scotty's dad, we probably need to figure out if that damage was there. Scotty took off that night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think by the time y'all heard about this, Rock County Sheriff would have contacted... Uh, you know, next of kin contacted the families of the victims. They probably would have gone over, like, uh, some questions with him about the vehicle. Scotty's dad, you know, tells the sheriff, like, yeah, you know, I just, just took the car in, you know, last week for, you know, routine checkup and everything. And, you know, it was in tip-top shape, you know. The thing was, like, didn't have a, didn't have a scratch on it at the time. They said it was great, great to go, you know, no issues or anything like that. And functionality of the engine. I just want to point out that it sounds like this tack started from above uh scotty's dad or wait we're not talking to him right now they already spoke to him yeah so this is just information that you have from the rock county sheriff's police report if you would like to do a scene where you go talk to the parents of the victims we can totally get no, that down the line i absolutely don't want to do that <laughs> okay <laughs> i was like yeah huge bummer I, I don't care what scotty's dad has to say um, <laughs> 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 you just lost a child, Shannon. <laughs> yeah, and he's not going to help us solve this mystery. I assume 
that this would have been at the top of the report if Rock County had ever had anything like this happen in the recent past. Any other freezing deaths? This is the first crime of this nature. There have in the past been vehicular incidents, kids like out joyriding, and like something that I actually found while I was doing research about Weary Road is there's rumors, in this case we're going to say this actually happened, but there's rumors of like teenagers out car surfing at one point. There's a, there's a very sharp turn just after the bridge. The driver took the turn way too fast, and he launched a kid who was car surfing on top, launched him off the car, and he died. So there have been kind of mysterious incidents and a couple of deaths on this road. This is the first time where the, the circumstances surrounding the death are a complete mystery. I just want to take a walk about around out at the scene. I'm just doing a little walkabout, huh? Yeah. That's how I found the place last time. We did a walkabout. <laughs> the perimeter of the car, like, farther out into the prairie or whatever it is. Well, Shannon, you going to take your bike or you want me to drive you out there? At this point, Frag and Jimmy would probably be arriving about the same time. So if either of you want to just, just go first, if you guys have any questions for the sheriff before you get going... Jimmy really doesn't have a lot of questions right off the bat. I mean, he does come flying into the parking lot. Just very gently, like, kind of taps into a different cop car. <laughs> <laughs> Comes out, blasting probably back in black by DC. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he just, like, reading over the report, I don't really have any questions at the moment. Okay. I imagine at this point you have... Jimmy is it. like, what's the proximity of, like, graveyards to this, this site? I think I'm going to say that there's probably not any in a few miles. Also, Indian burial mound. Yeah, it looks like the closest graveyard is going to be the Maple Hill Cemetery. That's on, like, the other side of Evansville from Weary Road. Weary Road is southeast of Evansville. The Maple Hill Cemetery is in, like, the northeast. When, when Frag shows up, I think all he'd be looking at right now... I'm curious, is there, like an ice circle around the car where it shows like grass has died or anything around the car? Ooh, good question. No, I don't think there is. I think all of the freezing effects noted in the police report all took place within the vehicle. Anything above the car, like a tree branch? So yeah, I imagine that, well, so they were parked on that bridge I mentioned, and they kind of drove through like the kind of spooky grove of trees in order to get there. I think in this, for the sake of this, I will say that, like, you know, given the large canopy of the trees, their, um, you know, sort of top branches do sort of stretch over the bridge. There was large tree canopies above the car at the time of the incident. So based on what Hazel said, do we see, like, a freezing damage going all the way down the canopy to the car? No, no. The freezing is all contained inside the vehicle. Oh, okay. None, none of it outside the vehicle. So is there anything in the report about Scotty and Megan? Were they upstanding citizens of their community? Do they have any enemies or? No, I mean, you know, they were just, they were kids, you know, uh, we'll say like, we'll say Scotty was like a football player and she was like a cheerleader. We'll go with like that old trope, not like, you know, definitely no like enemies. Um, like, you know, Scotty might've been a little bit of a jock and, you know, and she might've been a little bit of a mean girl. But I don't think there's a lot of high school kids with access to flash freezing technology. <laughs> Probably a safe assumption. 
Okay, just covering all the bases. I think it's time to dial up 1-800-SHITS-WEIRD on that Ouija board. Uh, that's not how these things work. <laughs> Jimmy's like, wait, oh. what are, Ouija board? What the hell are we talking about? <laughs> oh, I brought a lot of and then, in, Shannon, in your mind, you just hear, do not tell them of my presence, Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, just this thing I bought from the shopping network. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't exist. <laughs> it's on public access Madison. So can we go out there to the the site now, guys? Yeah, should we all hop in the the spooky mobile? It's more of a spooky wagon. We're gonna do a little road trip scene. Just real quick, I want to clarify something. Nobody but Hazel is aware of the mystical fucking Ouija board, right? <laughs> I thought that we had established. Yeah, yeah. So Shannon is the only one that hears the voices from the voice, rather, coming from the Ouija board. It, it is supposed to be, like, obviously it's not secret to you guys, but it is supposed to be secret, at least to your characters for the time being. Okay, so Frag didn't really know about that. Okay, sorry. That's why I made up such a good lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the non-existent shopping network. <laughs> Wait, so are you just, like, holding the no, box with the Ouija board in no, your hand? No, it's <laughs> in my um, Indiana Jones duffel bag. Okay. Sweet man purse, Hazel. So at this point, like, I think y'all said, you know, you're driving down to Evansville. By the time y'all got to the, um, it's probably about like after you get briefed by the sheriff. And, you know, like I said, it takes Frag and uh, Jimmy probably at least an hour to get there. So, I mean, by the time y'all are rolling out, it's probably at least 10, like, well, I'm going to probably say more like 11 a.m. It's like almost noon. It's about, yeah, if you're taking Highway 14, uh, it takes about 35 minutes to get down there. So we'll say it's like right, like if you guys are just... Say it's like noon by the time you guys get there. And I'm curious, are you heading to the crime scene? Or do you want to talk to the Rock County Sheriff? I want to go to the crime scene. Yeah, I think Jimmy would head to the crime scene first. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, you guys kind of roll up to Weary Road uh, in the RV, and you make a turn out of this. Like, it's a pretty narrow, like, barely two-lane road. Uh, there's no other vehicles on Weary Road when you turn on there. If there were... Jimmy would probably have to, like, almost, like, pull the vehicle over onto the shoulder just so another car could get by. Like I said, like, even during the daytime, obviously it's middle of the day. It's plenty, you know, plenty of light out. You can get this very ominous sense. And, you know, like, the canopy of the trees is such that, you know, even though it's middle of the day, when you drive under them, it's very shady and a little bit dim as you're kind of rolling down the road in your RV. The car has been removed, I take it? Yeah, yeah, the car got taken down to, like, the police impound. Did they make an outline of the car the way they make, used to make outlines of bodies so we know exactly where the scene of the crime was? I don't think that is a police practice. Um, <laughs> given, like, the case files that you have, you know, you can see exactly where the car was parked on the bridge at the time of the incident. Jimmy's, like, on the, on the drive down, like, I hope this isn't some kind of, like, fucking ice troll. I mean, they might not have paid the troll toll. Just throwing that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and another thing, uh, there's also a, just a little bit beyond the bridge, and then there's that sharp uh, right turn that I mentioned where um, there was that incident with the kid car surfing a little while back. Just after the bridge, there's a sharp right turn um, that you would go up. It goes maybe like a mile or so north, and there's this train track that doesn't quite intersect with the road gets very uh, close to it after you get about a not mile north of the bridge 
the car was recovered. So just to kind of paint a little bit of a word picture for you. So now the bridge itself, is it a metal bridge? Is it uh, like an old wooden bridge? And what is the uh, the pavement over the bridge? And does it go over a creek or, or what? Yeah, so it goes, it spans a small creek. It looks like it's like a pretty basic paved road bridge with just some very basic metal guardrails on either side of it. Uh, my first inclination is to look up at the canopy <laughs> right over where the car would have been to see if I see either a gap in the canopy or any broken limbs up there. Okay, give me a, give me a dove's roll um, and for do research, and I'll say you get three dice. Two, five, and three. And what's my number? My number is five. You got two successes and one tie. You can ask me any question you like that I will answer honestly. And then um, based on my answer, you can change the action if you want and re-roll. I can't think of any questions that I'm not going to be asking in the normal course of the investigation. Go ahead and re-roll. I mean, you've already got two successes, so you're going to get a pretty good amount of info out of this. Three successes. So with a total complete success, you're able to kind of survey the area. Hazel, you know, you've been doing this sort of like alien kind of tracking and lookout kind of stuff before. You know exactly kind of like what to look for in cases of suspected or even known abductions. Uh, You look up and you see that the canopy is very thick. There's not necessarily any large gaps um, between any of the uh, major branches. You know, you're kind of surveying the area. Like, remember from like the case file, there's a picture of the dent on the top of the car and then there's some like what looks like scratches or claw marks on like the top of the car. You're kind of looking around and you do notice that maybe like some of like the smaller limbs are like kind of broken and hanging off here or there. And then you also like notice like near where those broken limbs are, you notice a lot of like similar kind of small like claw marks in like the bark of the tree near where those broken limbs are. Uh, I point that out to everybody and uh, get out my, I uh, have in my backpack, I have a Polaroid camera. Uh, so okay. I start taking pictures of the scratch marks. for comp- And Perfect. I also have uh, a specimen jar with little tweezers. So I'm kind of poking around around the scratch marks to see if I see any fur or any remnants of whatever it was that made the scratch mark. So what I'm envisioning is like where you find these, where you see these broken limbs and these scratch marks, they're high up in the tree. So okay. unless you're like climbing up the tree to get there. I love the idea of the taking pictures of the Polaroid. You're not going to be able to get up to get, like, up close unless you or somebody else, like, climbs up the tree. Or, yeah, we could bring the RV. I'm assuming there's maybe a ladder on the side of the RV going up the side. We might be able to use that to climb up and take a closer look. Yeah, that's a very good thought. <laughs> Who's climbing the tree? Shannon, you're taller than me. All right. I'll climb up there. And you're a, you're a trained investigator. I... I think this is going to be a demon's rule in my, in this sense. I think it's going to say it falls under a reckless action to climb up these big ass trees and get out because like where these broken limbs are, you're going to have to get out on a, you're going to have to go out on a limb. I thought that's why we were using the RV. So yeah. we didn't have to climb the tree. I mean, that'll get you a good way up the trunk, but these trees are big. Because the RV can travel underneath them. Yeah. I'll certainly climb up on top of the RV and take a picture if it's closer at least and that'll also give me a good chance to survey the land from a little high and to see if there's any weird looking spots on the surrounding area so that's what i'm also going to do i'm going to take a picture and 
look for something. Like, get the lay of the land. Get the lay of the land. Thank you. From, you know, where you're standing. And that's just kind of, I think that is how you would kind of know about like those train tracks I mentioned earlier. In terms of like anything kind of weird that you might see just from looking around on top there. Yeah, I mean, like Hazel already did a pretty good job casing the joint. And like kind of what's on either side of Weary Road, just kind of like cornfields and farmlands. Spots that are like padded down, so it looks like trampled almost, or any spots that look dead that I can see. I think you might notice like signs of like animal life. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like totally possible that there might be like, so you see like maybe game trails here and there sort of going through the underbrush, kind of leading into and out of the um, farmland. Not really any like dead spots in because, you know, like, you know, this this land is being actively farmed and maintained for the crops that they're out there producing. So, yeah, no like dead spots of uh, crops necessarily. Well, then I take a picture and I get back off the top of the the RV and I ask everyone, so what's next, guys? Where are we going? What are we doing? Can we go? Is there a way to go underneath the bridge to kind of look and see what we see underneath it? This whole idea of trolls now has been going You know, there's those like kind of like like irrigation or like agricultural sort of like canals or whatever that will kind of run along like large fields and stuff. It's not like it's like a huge river, like raging, like like current. It's more or less just kind of like a small little canal that's just sort of kind of lazy river, kind of just like drifting underneath the water. You can go down there and take a look underneath, kind of rocky sort of slopes on either side of the canal um, or right underneath the bridge. You take a look down here, and yeah, I think it is, I think it's safe to say that down here, you don't necessarily see any of those scratch marks. But you do see these, like, weird little, like, paw prints that, being a survivalist, Hazel, like, probably knows a good deal about tracking animals and how to kind of recognize paw prints. But this is, like, something that is not really familiar to you. It has aspects of being, like, a, a humanoid, very small. And it's also, like, there are, like, also, like, claws on these sort of... Uh, human, uh, hu- tiny human-like sort of prints that you find in the sand underneath the bridge. Oh. <laughs> Weird. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for the Paranormal Investigation Group this time around. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Depending on the timing of which this episode comes out, you know, we, if we don't already, there will be soon, we'll be dropping our two new uh, podcast projects in the feed, so you'll see it in the exact same place uh, where you're finding this po- uh, podcast, it'll pop up right on top of the episodes there. We'll do our best to demarcate them so as to not throw you too many curveballs, but yeah, one is uh, our Dungeons and Dragons podcast, the original D&D the granddaddy of all tabletop RPGs. So, uh, we're going to be playing a game of that, or a campaign, rather, that my brother Nick is going to be uh, dungeon mastering for us. We released that little soundbite for you a little while back, and we are just getting around to releasing it for you. Thank you so much for your patience. The other one is a superhero-themed uh, tabletop RPG that is very much based on the rules that we used when we're playing Doves and Demons. 
Uh, so if you like this, you'll probably like that too. Same cast in in the Brick Throwers. Uh, that's the superhero. You know, they don't sound like superheroes. Same cast in that one in Dungeons and Dragons. We got our buddy Robert joining us instead of my sister-in-law Molly. You'll get a chance to meet them if you just click on over to that episode. So go ahead and check it out. Uh, you can email us at funtimepod at gmail.com. That's F-U-N-T-I-M-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to drop us a line there. Do keep spreading that good word about the Bakes and Family Fun Time. You know, that's how we're really going to build the listenership here with, you know, just word of mouth. Uh, so we're relying on you good people and your support to uh, spread the word. So thanks so much, everybody, for sticking with us so far. We hope you're enjoying it. We're definitely enjoying bringing these to you. So you keep listening, and we'll keep putting them out there. Uh, stay safe, everybody. Uh, take care of yourself and each other. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.